for you and praise you, Lord, and thank you for your goodness to us. I must honestly admit, Lord, I do not always thank you for that goodness, but that's the desire of our hearts tonight, Lord, is to be in that place of everlasting praise, awareness of your presence of your spirit in our lives, and just a perpetual attitude of gratitude, Lord, that would shine out to the world and would share your love with the world. So work that in our hearts and work in us as we hear your word. We thank you that it is alive, goes deep into our hearts, and can affect true change. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your love. Thank you for this place. In your precious name, amen. Greet someone in the great, great name of Jesus Christ. Good evening, everybody. How are we doing tonight? Good. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. It's so good. I didn't want to start just hearing everybody fellowship, and it's, I think that's what heaven's going to be like, you know, between the worship and the fellowship, it's just going to be glorious. Well, Lord Jesus, we put the word before you now. We pray that you would open up our hearts. And Lord, we long for that day that, that we can be home with you, that we can be singing praises and, and looking into your face to be with our Savior. Lord, we, we walk through this life by faith. There's things that we don't see, but we believe in. And Lord, for that day when we no longer have to have faith because we can just look at you. Lord, we long for that day. We pray that you would keep us until then. And to do that, we pray that you would speak to our hearts and show us how to walk by faith tonight. And it's in your name that we pray, Jesus. Amen. Amen. All right, well, let's open up to the book of Philippians. Uh, last time we were in chapter 2, and we made it through to the end of verse 11, so it makes sense that we would pick up in verse 12. <laughs> so uh, let's do that. Go to Philippians chapter 2, verse 12. All right. Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now, much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. We're, we're not even a chapter and a half through Philippians, and, and it seems like we've run across a lot of Scripture verses that are notoriously misquoted or misunderstood. People that, that like to ride the, the bandwagon of, I'm going to work my way to heaven, and I'm going to get in with my good works that outweigh my bad works. They, they love this verse, and it's, it's not what it's saying, but they, they like to misquote it and think that they can get to heaven by working out their salvation with fear and trembling. And, and that's, that's not what it says, but let's lay a little bit of groundwork before we get to that part. 
So the beginning of verse 12, Paul says, Wherefore, my beloved, as ye have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence. The church at Philippi, they had proven themselves to be doers of the word. They, they had proven that they had a heart to be obedient to the scripture, and they were hungry, and that's why they loved Paul, because Paul is a wonderful teacher, and so we have this good relationship here. So they've proven themselves that, that they're, they're able to be doers of the word, not only with Paul, but without Paul. You guys ever have a substitute teacher when you were in school? Man, you're probably at least reasonable for the teacher on the day-to-day basis, but then the substitute shows up, right? And they have the saying that, well, the cat's away, the mice, they're going to play. And it can be that way in church, right? It can be that way spiritually when the person that is watching over us, the person that is perhaps discipling us and teaching us and leading us along the way, they disappear and all of a sudden it feels as if we have this newfound freedom and we could do anything we want, as if the restraints have been lifted, even though that's not true, because the Lord is always with us, you know? The, the Lord is with us no matter where we go, and even if we've forgotten about him, he hasn't forgotten about us. <laughs> but even in the absence of Paul, the Philippian church has proven to be faithful, and that, that's a commendable thing to call out. And so he, he writes that, you know, you guys, you're faithful to the word. And then he ends with work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Now, what does that mean? I think a lot of people scratch their heads like, Lord, are you sure you wanted to put that in there? Because that seems confusing. And it's not. It, it, it doesn't have to be confusing at all. Um, you guys know Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 and 9, for grace by grace ye are saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. All right? it, it's nothing to do with us. It is the grace of God that is freely extended to us. That's how we're saved. We simply place our faith in the work that he did, and we're, we're given salvation. You know, when we look at the greatness of God, we, we look at at how mighty he is, he's sovereign, he's omnipotent, and the list goes on and on. I mean, there, there is none that compares to him, there's none like him. Peter said to Jesus, who else has the words of life? There were no other options. It's him and him alone. When I look at the greatness of God, as much as my limited mind can comprehend, when I look at the unfathomable gift of salvation, that was made possible by Jesus sacrificing himself for us. We're undone by that. When we really sit down and look at the magnitude of the gifts that was given to you and I that have received that gift by faith. It's an ultimately humbling experience to receive the gift of salvation because we've done nothing to merit or earn or deserve it. It's, it's a gift that is worth far more than you and I could ever possibly pay back in a thousand lifetimes. And so when I think about that, I do tremble. I I do tremble at the thought of how great a gift has been given to me. And if you know Jesus, which looking around, I think most of you do here, that should be a humbling thing. I forgot to make the note of it, but fear, it's not 
It's not what you think it is. It's, it's, the, the English language doesn't do it justice there. I meant to make a note of that in my notes, and I didn't. But I remember looking at it and thinking, wow, that's awesome. But it, it talks about the, the work that the Lord has done in our life and how great it is. And, and so we should fear and tremble, right? We should be completely undone by the gift that has been given to us that, that we don't deserve. So let's keep going here in verse 13. For it is God which worketh in you, confirming what we just said, worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. When we seek after the Lord, when we are in fellowship like you guys are tonight, when we are in the word, not just corporately, but at home in our devotional time with the Lord, he's faithful to pour into our lives. What does that mean? He, he imparts his goodness to us. The virtues that, that make up who he is are imparted to us as we spend time with him. And I know I've used this example before, but your mom didn't want you hanging out with the troublemakers when you were kids because you would begin to take on their attributes. You would start to act like them. And she got excited when you found that good friend. She thought, oh, gosh, I want you to hang out with him or her because I like them. You know, they, they love the Lord or they respect their parents and they're not running around smoking pot behind the bleachers. And, you know, the list goes on and on. They, they want you to hang out with decent folks because they want you to be decent. It's the same thing with the Lord. He wants you to spend time with him so you can become more like him. I love the simplicity of the Word of God. I'm a simple guy. I'm a carpenter. I build boxes for a living. I'm, I'm not an astrophysicist. And the Lord breaks it down. You don't have to be elite at anything. All you have to do is want to know him, and he'll make himself known to you. It's, it's glorious. It gives hope to guys like me. <laughs> but he, he is, is faithful to pour himself into our lives to will and to do his good pleasure and I think it's important that we take a note, we can't do his will and his good pleasure if we aren't filled up with him. If we aren't empowered by the Holy Spirit, you're not going to be able to do the things that the Lord's called you to do. When it comes time to forgive that person that's wronged you, you're not going to be able to do it unless you're filled with the Holy Spirit, unless you have been filled up with a love that is greater than yourself that you are now able to give away to that person. We've been forgiven much, haven't we? Amen. Amen. <laughs> I know I have. So we, we can't do this unless we are filled with the Holy Spirit, unless we are abiding with him on a continual basis. I think we're going to spend all of eternity just being poured into by the Lord and discovering his greatness. I don't know that we'll ever be able to fully compre comprehend how great he is. But we'll find out, and it's going to be great. Whether I'm right or wrong, we're going to find out, and it's going to be great. Chapter, or chapter, verse 14. I think I heard this quoted to me by my mother more than any other verse growing up. Do all things without murmurings and disputings. Just do what I asked you to do the first time and don't complain. You guys know what I'm talking about. If it wasn't said to you, we know that you say it to your kids or your grandkids. And you know... <laughs> We are the children of God, are we not? And the Lord asks us to do things, does he not? <laughs> and do we always do it with a, a happy, cheerful heart? <laughs> Don't say yes. <laughs> he knows. So do the rest of us. 
we, we don't always do things with, with a cheerful heart. And, and I'm guilty. I'm the, I'm the first one. Lord, I don't want to do that. That's, that's just too much work. Or that guy drives me nuts. I don't want to go talk to him. Or, you know, fill in the blank. You've got your own list that you can fill in right now. I guarantee it. If you can't, then, then praise the Lord. He's, he's taken you to a place that I haven't been yet. <laughs> but to do all things without murmurings and disputings. So we talked about how the Philippian church had shown themselves to be doers, but that doesn't always mean they, they had a good attitude about it, about it. Have you ever done something with a bad attitude? Sure you have. We've all done it. It's easy to say, well, Lord, if that's really what you want me to do. And I wonder the blessing that we miss out on because we just kind of trudge our way through it instead of being joyful in it. You know, I, I met the Lord at an early age, and anybody that's walked with the Lord for any number of years, it's easy to, there's a few things that are easy to do. One is get stuck in a rut, right? All of a sudden, we think we, we've learned it all. And we don't say that because that's not what mature Christians say. We say that we have more to learn, but we act like we don't have any more to learn. Have you ever done that? I know I have. I grew up in the church, and I had godly Christian folks, and we were at church whenever the doors were open, and and all that, and you know, you think that I'd know just about everything by now, and the Lord's so faithful to remind me that I don't. <laughs> My wife's faithful too. Um, she, she's a good godly woman. So, so what do you do? Do you remember what it was like when you got saved? Do you remember the excitement and, and everything was just, like the colors were more vibrant, right? That doesn't have to just be something that happened 30 or 40 years ago. You know, the, the question is, are we truly submitted to the Lord? Lord, I am yours. Do whatever you want with me. And then you do it with a joyful attitude, even when it doesn't make sense. You take that step of faith, and then you see what happens, and it's awesome. And we get stuck in a rut. You know, we come to church on Sunday morning. We sit in the same spot. Last week, my wife sat over there on Wednesday night. I've been part of this church since 1991. This is the third building we've been in. And so I've been in this building other than being in Alaska, I always sit on this side for no reason. It's not, I, you said hi to me last week, and it was great. I said, oh, you came over to this side. People know that I sit over there. You know, and it, it was just, it was different, and it was great just to go sit on the other side of the sanctuary. Something so silly, but that's how we're creatures of habit. We get stuck in a rut. We do things without even thinking about it. Like I said, I don't know why I sit over there. I just always do. But, you know, I think it's important to evaluate the things that we do and say, why do I do that? Maybe the Lord wants me to sit over there or in the middle or in the front or in the back because maybe there's someone that, that he wants me to talk to, a divine appointment that he set up, and I say, but Lord, I sit there, right? Because I, I don't have a reason. I just do, right? I just do it because. How, how often do we say that to the Lord or to ourselves? I just do it because, and that's just the way it is. I challenge you guys and myself just to be open. When the Lord challenges you to do something small, like sit in a different seat or whatever it might be, when you are still before the Lord and you're listening for the still, small voice of the Holy Spirit, and he just whispers something and you say, what, Lord? What was that? Just do it. 
Just do it and see what happens. Tiny steps of faith can lead to big things. And you might not never fully comprehend the impact of taking a small step of faith, but it can have a wonderful domino effect. The Lord can use the tiniest little events to trigger another event, to trigger another event, and so on and so forth. Just be faithful to to do what the Lord says and to have a, a good attitude about it. You know... Let me flip over here. I, I heard a guy telling a story, uh, and he, he lives on a houseboat, and he, he lives down south, and he's talking about how he's, he's on this houseboat. He, he's just gotten into it. He just moved to the south, not from the south, and, uh, and he, he's sitting there one night, and you know, they're on the lake, and he, he's a single guy living in his boat, and all of a sudden, he hears a freight train, and he's thinking, they don't have freight trains on this lake. And it was a tornado, and he'd never been in a tornado before. And so he, he looks outside, and there's lightning, and it's flashing and crashing. The wind's blowing, and the boat's just going all over. And he's, he's on the ground, you know, in the boat hanging on for dear life. And he thinks, I'm going to die. This is it. I'm going home to be with Jesus. This freight train coming down the lake's going to plow right through my boat, and that's it. And, and the next day, you know, he was still alive, and, and you know, just like when you see a tornado, the aftermath of it, things were just destroyed and upside down. And, and they're sitting there. There's a place where they go to get coffee, you know, him and the community there in the boat. And they're all talking about their story. And, and he's sitting there, and the Lord just whispers uh, to his heart that, you know, hey, you survived. You know, I was with you. And, and he got to thinking, you know, I would enjoy that a whole lot more if I knew I was going to live. You know? <laughs> Imagine how your attitude would change as you're, you know you're going to be fine. Nothing's going to happen. And wow, look at those branches flying across the water. And there's a cow flying through the air. You know, whatever. You know, it changes your outlook on everything. But let me ask you something. Isn't that the same with this life? We're going to make it. If you know Jesus, he's going to see you through. He is faithful to complete that which he has started in you. We're going to get to heaven and we're going to look back I think, gosh, I would have enjoyed that a lot more if I, if I would have believed that I was going to make it. You know, and that's, that's the attitude right there that, that we need to have is the Lord's got a plan for me. The, Satan can't do anything to me unless the Lord allows it to happen. And if he allows it to happen, it's for a reason and it's because he loves me. So just go through your trials with joy, right? Doesn't Peter talk about counting it all joy? You know, in the midst of the, the trials, and it doesn't make sense, but that's what it is. You know, you're, you're going to make it. He's going to see you through. Heaven is still there at the finish line. And regardless of what you experience going through that, uh, he, he's going to lead you through it. So have joy, saints. And that's why we're here together, because we go through trials and we need each other. We were just praying in, in Pastor A's office, and one of the guys was, was talking, uh, praying about the importance of fellowship. It's so good to see everybody here tonight because there's a lot of saints with all the COVID stuff that's gone on that they're, they're alone. And that's not good. You can't be encouraged and exhorted and admonished as the body of Christ is supposed to be when you're just sitting home alone and locked up. So if you know people like that, don't, don't judge them and don't beat them up. Encourage them. Invite them. Try to, try to bring them back into the fold because we love them. We love them dearly. All right, verse 15, let's get back to it. That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God, 
without rebuke in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. When you're making spirit-filled decisions, it stands out, right? And one of the best ways to, to do that is to do all things without murmuring and disputing. How many miserable people do you work with? <laughs> and when you're walking there with joy and happiness, man, I love it. I mean, I'm, I'm self-employed, but sometimes you get on the job with, with other contractors, and you can always tell the Christians. There's this one guy, he's an electrician, he did a lot of the wiring here, and the guy is just, he's awesome. He just loves Jesus. He's always got a smile on his face. And he walks in the room and everything lights up. That's a testimony in a world that, that is just dismal and confused and nobody knows what's right and wrong anymore because we've managed to cloud it so much. When somebody walks in and they've just got the joy of the Lord in their heart and on their face and coming out of their mouth, it's awesome. So, so check your heart. Next time you go to the grocery store, next time you go to work, are, are we filled with joy? The world takes note of a person that responds to wrath with kindness a person that returns good to those that have done them wrong. It's not natural. It's supernatural to respond that way. The person that can forgive that which seems unforgivable. We've seen it. We hear stories about people that, you know, someone is, is murdered and then the, the father of the child that got murdered goes and, and forgives the murderer and then the guy winds up getting saved. Man, that's when Satan loses, right? That's when Satan loses. He, he thought he was going to create disorder and dissent and chaos, and then the Lord turns it into something beautiful, right? He brings redemption. It's a hard thing to understand. Our flesh just wants to revolt against that and say, well, that guy should die. And sure, he, she should, but Jesus died for that guy too, right? These are all things that can't be done in the flesh. It's only the love of Christ in our hearts that are able to accomplish these things. I want you guys to flip your Bibles over to Daniel chapter 6. Drink a little more water while I'm at it. And while you're turning there, I'm just going to read through verse 15 again because this flows right into Daniel chapter 6. That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation, among whom ye shine as lights in the world. All right, Daniel chapter 6, we're going to pick it up right in verse 1. Now we're talking about uh, the, the rule and the reign of King Darius here. It pleased Darius to set over the kingdom a hundred and twenty princes, which should be over the whole kingdom, and over these three presidents, of whom Daniel was the first, that the princes might give accounts unto them that the king should have no damage. So he, he's got this vast kingdom, and there's 120 princes, and those 120 princes, uh, they report to three presidents, and then the three presidents, they report to the king. And it kind of shields the king, right? He's upper management, and he's got all of his managers taking care of all the day-to-day -day stuff. And then these three presidents, they... They tell the king what he needs to know, and they filter out the rest and deal with it themselves. So Daniel, he's, he's one of these, these three top-ranking guys right underneath the king. 
then this Daniel was preferred above the presidents and princes because an excellent spirit was in him, and the king thought to set him over the whole realm. Now, the other two presidents didn't like that so much. So in verse 4, the presidents and the princes sought to find occasion against Daniel concerning the kingdom, but they could find none occasion nor fault for as much as he was faithful. Neither was there any error or fault found in him. You know, if you looked for about 10 seconds, you'd find all kinds of faults in me. And these, I mean, there were the other two presidents and then the other 120 princes. So by, by my account, that's 122 people trying to find fault with Daniel, and they couldn't find anything. The guy was squeaky clean. He, he simply lived in surrender to, to the Lord. He knew that God was good, that God was right, and he might not have had the whole Bible that we have today, but he worshiped the Lord, and he asked the Lord for guidance and direction. And we see that because he prays on a daily basis. So verse 5, Then said these men, We shall not find any occasion against this Daniel, except we find it against him concerning the law of his God. Then these presidents and princes assembled together to the king and said thus unto him, King Darius, live forever. All the presidents of the kingdom, the governors and the princes and the counselors and the captains have consulted together to establish a royal statute. We all put our heads together, King. We got this great idea. They're trying to sell it to him. And to make a firm decree that whoever shall ask a petition of any god or man for 30 days, save of thee, so any, any, they can't make anything to anybody else except for you, O king, he shall be cast into the den of lions. Now, I want to know why the king would have thought this was a good idea. Have you ever had your kids try to scheme something up? They're all like giggling and laughing in the other room, and then they all come before you, and you know that they're trying to work you for something whether it's dessert or a pizza or a movie or, you know, you name it. They're, they're, they're cooking something up. It seems like the king would have been able to pick up on this. Maybe he didn't have kids. I don't know. But let's continue. All right. Uh, so, yep, so they'll be thrown into the, the Don of Lions. Verse 8, Now, O king, establish the decree and sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not. And this is the part where I, as a parent, get kind of fishy. They're saying the same thing over and over. Like, they really want to make sure you catch this part, right? Sign the writing that it be not changed according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not. In other words, man, once you sign this, there's nothing you could do to change it. It's the law, and not even you can change that, king. Wherefore, King Darius signed the writing and the decree. And so the, the two presidents and the 120 princes, they think, we got them. We, we got this thing all locked up now. Because they knew that Daniel prayed in his window every single day. And you know now it's illegal to, to reach out to anybody except the king. Verse 10, now when Daniel knew that the writing was signed, he went into his house and his windows being open in his chamber toward Jerusalem. I got a lot of respect for this guy. He kneeled upon his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he did aforetime. You know what? The government, they made a ruling 
that it's illegal to pray. And Daniel, he didn't put up a big stink about it. He didn't have a rebellion. He didn't sign petitions. He just kept doing what he was doing. And we should think about that, not knowing what tomorrow holds. Daniel was faithful to just keep doing what the Lord called him to do. And then verse 11. Then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God. Then they came near and spake before the king concerning the king's decree. Hast thou not signed a decree? Don't forget, king. Don't forget. You did it. They sound, I, I just see my little kids here when I read about them. Hast thou not signed a decree that every man that shall ask a petition of any god or man within 30 days, save of thee, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing is true, according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which altereth not. And he's kind of repeating back that part, you know, the law that altereth not. And, and Darius was devastated when he realized what happened, because he loved Daniel, and there was nothing that he could do. So let's keep reading. Verse 13, Then answered they and said before the king, that, that Daniel, which is of the children of the captivity of Judah, regardeth not thee, O king, nor the decree that thou hast signed, but maketh his petition three times a day. You know what? They, they said that Daniel regardeth not thee. Daniel, he, he was faithful to the king. He was just faithful to the Lord first. But notice how Daniel's accusers, they were twisting Daniel's actions and they were lying about him. That's something that, that we see today, right? People will lie about us. They will twist the truth. They'll tell a half-truth, which they, they make the best lies, right? <laughs> because they're pretty believable. Satan doesn't fight fair. And Daniel, he, he didn't curse these guys for for lying, for cheating, for fabricating lies. He, it doesn't say that he did much of anything. He knew that the Lord was his defender, and that's something that, that we need to remember. I mean, I'm, I'm a guy, right? Guys, they're, they're bred for battle, you know? It's like, you come after my family, you know, I'm going to wipe you all out and blah, blah, blah. And it, that, it just, when I see this, it kind of makes my blood boil. Like, how could these guys dare to say something against Daniel? Like, you just... You know, it, it gets you irks, but, but praise God, Daniel's a good example for all of us. He, he just he stood there and took it. Then the king said, when he heard these words, was sore displeased with himself. He realized the error of his ways and set his heart uh, on Daniel to deliver him. And he labored to the going down of the sun to deliver him. He worked Every angle he could, he probably had his, his best lawyers there trying to di dissect the law, trying to figure out where's the loophole? What, can, what loophole can we exploit in our law to make it so we don't have to throw Daniel into the lion's den? And even the king and all of his best guys, they couldn't figure it out. Of course, all of his best guys wanted Daniel dead, so they probably didn't help so much. But anyhow, despite the king's best efforts... There was nothing he could do to save Daniel. So at this point in the trial, things are looking pretty grim, aren't they? You know, you, you look at your own trials and you feel like you've exhausted every option and nothing's working. Sometimes the Lord does that. You know, we, we try to MacGyver our way out of a situation and the Lord says, nope, that's not going to work. Nope, that's not going to work either. And he, he, he just waits until there's no options left except for him. 
Now let's keep reading, because we're going to see that the Lord is faithful, and you guys know the story. It's not like you're wondering what's going to happen next, but it's the Word of God, so we're going to read it, because it's good. All right, uh, verse 15, Then the men assembled unto the king uh, and said unto the king, Know, O king, that the law of the Medes and Persians is that no decree nor statute which the king established may be changed. <laughs> At this point, he's, he's probably getting sick of hearing that because he knows it, right? He, he knows that, that those are the rules. <laughs> Enough already. Get out of here. Verse 16, Then the king commanded... And they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. Now the king spake and said unto Daniel, Thy God, whom thou servest continually, he will deliver thee. And a stone was brought and laid upon the mouth of the den, and the king sealed it with his own signet, and with the signet of his lords, that the purpose, that the purpose might not be changed concerning Daniel. So when they sealed that stone up with their signet ring, that was a sign to anybody that would try to interfere, don't do it. <laughs> don't do it. Because there, there was death to be paid. You know, they probably just roll a stone away a little bit and throw you right in there with a line. You didn't break one of those seals. It was a capital punishment. Verse 18. Then the king went to his palace and passed the night fasting, Neither were instruments of music brought before him, and his sleep went from him. He was fasting. He couldn't sleep. He, he is crying out for his friend that he's just sentenced to death. Then the king arose very early in the morning and went in haste unto the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried with a lamentable voice unto Daniel. And the king spake and said to Daniel, O Daniel, servant of the living God, is thy God, whom thou servest continually, able to deliver thee from the lions? Then said Daniel unto the king, O king, live forever. Can you imagine King Darius when he heard a voice creeping out from behind that rock? You know, he, and notice here too, he, he's talking to Daniel, you know, could the God that you serve save you? Did the God that you serve, it wasn't even the God that King Darius served. He, he, he was so broken up, though, that he was crying out to, to the true and the living God, which I think is a notable thing. The Lord has a way of drawing the world in with dire circumstances. But still, he, he calls out to Daniel, and, and Daniel calls back, O king, live forever. My God hath sent his angel, and hath shut the lion's mouths that they have not hurt me, for as much as before him... Uh, Sorry, I lost my spot. For as much as before him, innocency was found in me, and also before the king, O king, have I done no hurt. Then was the king exceedingly glad for him, and commanded that they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den, and no manner of hurt was found upon him, because he believed in his God, and the king commanded that they brought those men which had accused Daniel, and they cast them into the den of the lions, them, their children, and their wives. There, there was a pretty harsh retribution for, uh, for what they had done. And the lions had the mastery of them and break all their bones in pieces or ever they came at the bottom of the den. So after fasting all night, the lions were hungry. <laughs> And there were a lot of openings in government work 
in the kingdom. <laughs> but that's not the point that we want to take here. <laughs> so let's go back over to Philippians. And let's read chapter 2, verse 15, one more time, and thinking about Daniel and how he handled his situation. That ye may be blameless and harmless, the sons of God without rebuke, in the midst of a crooked and perverse nation among whom ye shine as lights in the world. Doesn't that just describe Daniel? May we live lives that are so spotless that if the world is trying to dig up dirt, the world is trying to take us down, that they have to use our prayer lives to do it. Not our, our internet browsing history or an affair or the secret addiction or fill in the blank. May it be that, oh, this guy prays. We're going to have to make a law making it illegal to pray so we can take this guy down. That, that's what the Lord wants us to be. And that's who the Lord is quite capable of making us to be. But we, we have to, to want to be. We have to surrender and follow after the Lord, don't we? Let's look at verse 16 here. Holding forth the word of life that I may rejoice in the day of Christ that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. Everything that we believe is based on Jesus rising from the grave and conquering death. If not... If Jesus didn't rise from the grave, and you've heard Ray and every other pastor on the radio say this, it's all for nothing, isn't it? It's, but we do believe that Jesus rose from the grave, and we do believe that he has conquered death. And that's why we're all here tonight. But, but to, to expound further on verse 16, there's many things that we take on faith. We rarely get to see the whole of what is going on in our lives and those around us, right? We, we see the trial, you know, we see as much as, as we can see right in front of our faces, but we don't see all of the, the intricacies of, of what's going on in someone's life. Even in our own lives, we don't understand the trials that are going on around us. There, there's a whole spiritual realm out there, right? There are angels, there's demons, there's spiritual warfare that goes on and we, we look at Job. We're, we're not going to go through his story, but you know the story of Job. You know, Satan was roaming to and fro on the earth asking, you know, hey, you know, who do you got that's, that's upright? And, you know, they came up with Job, and he said, I'll get Job to curse you to your face, God. And, you know, all these things. Meanwhile, Job doesn't know what's going on. He lost his family. He lost all of his material possessions. The only person that he had left with his wife, and she said, curse God and die. Thanks, babe. <laughs> you know, that, but that's, nobody was at a lower place than Job. I mean, he lost everything, but he didn't charge God foolishly. What did he do? He worshiped, right? You give and take away. We've been singing that song for 20 or 25 years, and, and that's, that's taken out of Job. Lord, you, you give and you take away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. And, and so Job, he had to take a lot of things on faith. That, that's where we're going with all this. There were things that he didn't see and understand. He didn't understand that Satan and God were having a dialogue about him specifically and that the whole spiritual realm is sitting there watching, like, what's he going to do? Is he going to break or is he going to stay faithful? And, and we know that, that Job, he was able to, 
stay the course through it all, and, and the Lord restores. He, he blessed him above and beyond what he had before. But Paul here, you know, he's saying in verse 16, uh, holding forth the word of life, that I may rejoice in the day of Christ, that I have not run in vain, neither labored in vain. So we live here in this life, and, and we live by faith, and we don't understand so many things that are going on, most of what's going on, but there's going to be a day when all things are revealed. One day we're going to be in heaven, right? We're going to have understanding that we never had, and Paul is longing for that day. I mean, you look at what Paul went through, the shipwrecks being stoned to death. Uh, the list goes on and on and on. He was longing for that day. Lord, I, I've lived this life by faith. I want to see what it all meant. You know, I want to see the other side of it. I want to see the things that in this, this finite body with this finite mind, these things that, that I can't comprehend right now. I want to get to the other side of my glorified body and look back and, and see what it was all for. And that's how we should live. We don't understand all the things that we're going through now. We don't get the trials that we go through. But we should keep pushing through with a good attitude, with joy in our hearts. We should rejoice in our trials. And when we get to the other side, it'll all make sense. You know, he'll explain it when we get there, but we don't need to understand it now. Uh, our kids, you know, they driving to church on the road trip we drove 8,000 miles and they were really good about not asking are we there yet now we, we get in the car to go to church and I think we live 18 minutes away if you clock it and you catch the lights right and three minutes in how long is this going to take <laughs> really <laughs> and, and you know they want to know they want to know and and I got to the point I said don't worry you'll know when we get there, <laughs> you know? And that's kind of what it is now. Lord, are we there yet? Lord, what, what now? What about this? What about that? And he just wants us to follow him and walk by faith. And don't worry, you'll know when you get there. It's okay. Just, just trust me, right? He's our perfect father. He knows everything. You know, we, all you dads here and, and moms, you know, parents, you, you want to do your best for your kids, leading your kids. And we don't know everything, but our perfect heavenly father, he does know everything. And so when he says anything to us, just take it at face value. Take it for exactly what he said because he meant it and he's not speaking in riddles, you know. Just listen to what the Lord says. Okay, let's keep moving here. Verse 17. Yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and service of your faith, I joy and rejoice with you all. But Paul was blessed to be poured out and spent for the sake of the gospel. Uh, when it says, yea, and if I be offered upon the sacrifice and the service of your faith, him pouring out his life, sacrificing his life for them, right? Him risking getting shipwrecked and bitten by poisonous stakes to be there, to be with them, to encourage them. Him being imprisoned, you know, uh, for the things that he believed and the things that he said, and he maintains, you know, he, he stood his ground, even though it meant imprisonment, to be an example to them, to, to be example to the churches that he'd minister to. At the end, he says, I joy and rejoice with you all. You know, he got thrown in jail, guys. Like, we, we know that we've heard the story of Paul so many times, and oh, yeah, the, he was in jail, and then he did this, and then he did that. But if you got thrown in jail today, 
it wouldn't be, oh yeah, I got thrown in jail today, right? You, your world would kind of be turned upside down and you'd be wondering what's going on, when's this going to end? But Paul, he just, he just took it in stride, right? He was imprisoned and he thought, wow, there's a lot of people in this prison that probably need to know about Jesus. He wasn't worried about getting back out and you know, getting his, his things in order. He wasn't worried about all the places that he was supposed to go. You know, the, the places that he had planned to go, the Lord had obviously changed his itinerary up a, a wee bit, and, and he was good with it. He just took it in stride. Lord, you got something else for me. That's awesome. I pray that we can have that kind of attitude when the Lord changes things up on us, and it's not what we had planned. It's not what we had intended our lives to be. <laughs> be open to what the Lord has for you. All right, in verse 18, for the same cause also do ye joy and rejoice with me. They, they were blessed that, that Paul was faithful, that, that he was willing to go to jail and not cave in, you know, and renounce the things that he believed in. That would have undone, Paul, Paul wrote half the, the New Testament here. Imagine if he just caved in, everything that he had written would just be, you know, it just, it wouldn't carry any weight. But he was faithful to the very end. He finished strong. It's not enough to start strong, guys. we got to finish strong. Verse 19, But I trust in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy shortly unto you that I also may be of good comfort when I know your state. So Paul was sending Timothy to get a report of the state of the church uh, at Philippi, and he was excited about it. You ever get a, a letter or a text or an email from somebody from far away, you know, or someone that you haven't heard of from, someone that you haven't heard from in a long time, and you hear that they're doing well. You know, nowadays, I feel like all I hear is, oh, so-and-so is not doing well. Oh, he's not doing well. She's not doing well. And I feel like you never get good news anymore. But man, you get that one little bit of good news. Oh, so-and-so is doing great. You know, he's faithfully serving the Lord. He, he's out there sharing with people, or he's just holding his, his position as, as a pastor, and he's faithful to teach the Word. It's great when you get reports like that, isn't it? It's, you don't get them a lot these days, but when they show up, they're awesome. So Paul, he was getting ready to send Timothy to go get a, a, a status report. What's going on, Tim? So verse 20, For I have no man like-minded who will naturally care for your state, for all seek their own, not the things which are Jesus Christ's. But ye knowing the proof of him, that as a son with a father, he hath served with me in the gospel. Good help's hard to find, isn't it? That was a problem that Paul was having. Good help is, is hard to find, for all seek their own, verse 21. Not the things which are Jesus Christ, but ye know the proof of him, that as a son with a father, he hath served with me in the gospel. So Timothy wasn't like everybody else. Timothy was good help, and the Lord had brought him a good helper because he needed a good helper. And let me tell you, we can encourage our pastor. You want to be an encouragement to your pastor? Just be faithful to, to love the Lord, and your life will bear fruit, and there's nothing more encouraging to a pastor than to see fruit being born in the lives of the sheep that, that he tends to. You want to encourage your pastor, first pray for him because every pastor needs prayer and he'll be the first to tell you that. And second, just love Jesus and let fruit be born in your lives. Paul was in jail and, and he had a couple guys that were just faithful and it meant the world to him. Let's keep reading. 
because we're going to see who the other one is. Um, so first, let's read 23. He's still talking about uh, Timothy. Him, therefore, I hope to send presently so, so soon as I shall see how it will go with me. But I trust in the Lord that I also myself shall come shortly. He wanted to send Timothy to get that report, but he really wanted to be there himself, and he was praying that he might have the opportunity to, to get out and go visit them in person. All right, verse 25. Yet I supposed it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and companion in labor, my fellow soldier, but your messenger, and he that ministered to my wants. Now, I think it's interesting. He refers to Timothy as a son, a son ministering with a father. So we, we see that, that Timothy was a younger guy, but Epaphroditus a companion in labor and a fellow soldier. Epaphroditus was probably closer to Paul's age. He was a guy that had been with Paul in the trenches, shoulder to shoulder, and whatever happened, Epaphroditus didn't run away. I mean, even being there visiting Paul under house arrest, the Romans would take note of who came and went. You know, you were assuming a risk when you went to talk to Paul. If you brought something to Paul the Romans knew what it was, right? They're keeping an eye on this guy because everybody in the Roman world knows who Paul is. This guy's famous. So they, they want to know what's going on. So Epaphroditus, a fellow soldier. Uh, verse 26, For he longed after you all and was full of heaviness because that ye had heard that he had been sick. Now th this was the, the kind of, of guy... That, that Epaphroditus was, well, yeah, no, sorry. This is the kind of guy that he was. So the, the church knew who Epaphroditus was as well. They knew that, you know, he, he was the, the stand to Ray, right? He was his right-hand guy, and they knew who he was. And Epaphroditus was worried about the church because the church had heard that he had gotten sick. He wasn't worried about himself that he got sick, and we're going to read he almost died. Uh, he was that sick. He wasn't worried about that. He was worried that the church was upset about him being sick. His heart was for the church, to serve the body. It was not for his own well-being. He wasn't worried about that. He was worried about feeding the flock. So verse 27, For indeed he was sick nigh unto death, but God had mercy on him, and not on him only, but, also, but on me also. Lest, should, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. So we see here that, that Paul, he would have been devastated if Epaphroditus had died. He was so thankful that the Lord allowed Epaphroditus, his friend, to remain next to him. And, you know, I think that that kind of shows us the importance of having faithful brothers and sisters in our lives. And it doesn't necessarily just happen, right? We have to be friends to those people for them to be friends to us. We have to show ourselves friendly, as the scripture says. And Paul needed these guys in his life, right? The Lord brought them into his life, and they cultivated a relationship, a, a friendship, and a brotherhood. And it, it was a critical component in the ministry of Paul to have these guys around him. 
And, and so, too, the Lord has a calling for each and every one of your lives. There's nobody here that just isn't good enough, right? The Lord has given gifts to every single one of you. And there is a tremendous, a necessary benefit in having faithful brothers and sisters around you. The Lord doesn't have loners, right? We, we talked last time, if you remember, it was a couple of months ago, about the body of Christ and how we are called to be one. We are one body, and Christ is the head. And, and so I encourage you guys, fellowship. And you guys are great. I mean, I saw, I was listening to everybody fellowshipping after worship before we started, and it's, it's great. But take it farther, you know, have someone over for dinner or take time to spend with each other. Whatever it is, go for a walk or you go golfing or hunting or fishing or take time to cultivate relationships with the brothers and sisters in your lives. I have a few friends that I've had since we moved here from California since I was eight years old. They're old friends. They're good friends and they're there no matter what. And beyond just having my wife, you know, I've got a couple guys that, that I just know they're there no matter what. We might not talk for a couple months sometimes because they're, they're not here in this church anymore, but I know that they're there. I encourage you guys, if you don't have someone in your life like that, pray that the Lord would raise up someone in your life that can be just a, a faithful brother or a faithful sister. Sometimes he uses those people to provide insights. Sometimes we get so hung up in our trials and we just can't see anything because we're, we're, we're just overwhelmed and we're, we're, we're freaking out, right? Yeah, and then the Lord brings that faithful friend and, oh, have you tried this? And, you know, and then the Lord uses that person to illuminate your life, to, to bring a word of knowledge or wisdom in just the right moment. But that doesn't happen if we isolate. That doesn't happen if we cut ourselves off, if we just march out the door Sunday morning and, and make a dash for the car encourage you guys, man, we got this cafe over here and you can get coffee for free. You're running out of excuses here, guys. <laughs> They'd probably give you tea too if you ask. If not, then I'll buy your tea. Just put it on my tab. But you, you should go fellowship on a Sunday or a Wednesday. You know, even if, if your schedule is so busy that, that you can't meet somewhere during the week, just hang out and fellowship. Go say hi to somebody new. You know, try sitting on the other side of the sanctuary. You, so Ray's going to be gone this Sunday and the next Wednesday. The Sunday he comes back, you should all sit somewhere different. I'm serious. You should do it. Just do it and see what happens. I won't say anything after this, so it's up to you guys. But sit somewhere different. And, you know, we think, oh, it'll be funny. We'll get Ray. But you know what? You're going to meet all these new people that you've been going to church with for years. You know, when worship is done, you're going to shake someone's hand or hug someone that you've never met, even though you've seen them sitting over on the other side for 10 years. Who knows what the Lord can do with that? All right, let's, let's wrap this up. I, I think we can make it through chapter 2 here. We only got a couple more verses. Okay, verse 28. I sent him, therefore, the more carefully that when ye see him again, ye may rejoice that I may be the less sorrowful. Receive him, therefore, in the Lord with all gladness and holding such in reputation, because for the work of Christ he was nigh unto death, not regarding his life to supply your lack of service toward me. So really, it's, it's just kind of a recap of, of, of what 
was just said, Epaphroditus, he was a role model in the church. The people knew who he was, and, and he, he had started strong, and he wanted to finish strong, even, even if it meant dying in a jail while he was visiting his friend Paul. And, you know, we're all role models to somebody. You, you might not be up here in front where, where everybody knows who you are, and that, that's fine. That, that's a double-edged sword. Um, but you're a role model to someone, whether you have brothers or sisters, whether you have kids or grandkids or nieces or nephews. Somebody looks up to you. you know, And that can be scary if you haven't thought about that before. Someone's trying to be like you because they think the world of you. That, that's a, a sobering thought, isn't it? It is for me. I look at my shortcomings and thinking, oh, man, I've got three kids and they're on me all the time, you know? I, I want to be like Jesus. I want them to be like Jesus. What kind of example are we setting? You know, that's something to go home and meditate on. Reflect on, on your life, the way that you conduct yourself, the, the way that you prioritize where you spend your time, you know, what you spend your time doing and say, Lord, what can I do to be a better example to the people that are looking up to me. So in conclusion, you know, what, what do we have to, to look back on? We should do things without murmuring and disputing, right? We're going to make it. <laughs> Just like the guy in the houseboat. He said, gosh, that would have been a lot more fun had I known I was going to make it, you know, up front. And we're going to make it, guys. It doesn't matter what they do with vaccines and mandates, and they might throw us all in jail, and we'll all have a great pr prison ministry. That's okay. It really is. Heaven is still at the end of the line no matter where you spend your last days here. It doesn't matter. We are called to be one thing and one thing alone, salt and light. We are called to, to minister the gospel of Jesus to people in a dark and fallen world. So let's not overcomplicate it. Let's just love people and, and, and give the gospel to them because they, they are hungry for it. They just don't realize it yet. And then the second thing is that we need to live our lives above reproach. If the world is trying to take you down, may they find nothing more than your obedience to the Lord. May that be the, the only dirt they can dig up on us. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for how it illuminates our hearts. Lord, it, it takes things that the world has made gray and blurred, and, and it gives crystal clear perspective on it. Lord, it makes things razor sharp. And Lord, now that we've seen the truth, I pray that we would embrace the truth. Lord, not just as knowledge that we know to be true, but that we would apply it to our hearts, that as we apply it to our hearts, that it would change the way that we live our lives. May we live lives that are spotless. Lord, may we live lives that are fully surrendered to you. Lord, it's a phrase that we throw around so much and we can become numb to it to where it doesn't mean anything to hear it, but may our hearts truly be surrendered to you that when you tell us to do something, we, we do it and we're excited, even if it's something that we wouldn't normally want to do. We're excited to take a step of faith and to be obedient to you, Jesus. Please give us childlike faith. Help us to trust you the way that our kids trust us. We ask all these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Amen.